Amen. Church, I would recommend to you at some point this week after today uh, when you can have a quiet moment uh, to bring up the video of the service and go back to that last worship song. Uh, when you can be quiet and still and have um, maybe just a moment to turn up the volume of that video loud enough to where it drowns out everything else and just really um, use that as part of your time with the Lord. Um, sing that song, uh, think about the words of it, and then uh, really just um, go to the Lord in prayer, dig into his word, um, and just see how he speaks to you out of that. Um, we, we did, today we made the decision for our services to be virtual only. Uh, and I'll be quite frank with you, it's not, it, was a, it was a tough decision because number one, uh, today is a, is a message that I would much rather preach with a room of people. Because today is um, Acts chapter 2, this is the Holy Spirit coming into believers, Jesus in us, and I would really love to be face-to-face with so many more of you, but I'm glad that we can do it this way. Um, and, and times are a little different now. It's easy to do virtual services on days like today, uh, which is also a reminder um, that we will need to work a little bit um, more specifically, be more intentional in our lives because of this change that we've gone through in the last nine months, almost a year now, uh, where things are easy to access virtually, to make sure that we do the hard work uh, and the intentional effort of connecting face-to-face with people um, and making sure that we're, we're in community in a, in a regular basis as much as we can be. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt like you have been waiting on something, that you started to wonder if it was ever, in fact, actually going to get there. Um, there's a lot of things that, that we wait on and we anticipate. Um, as, as kids, we wait on Christmas. We wait on summer vacation. As we grow up, we, want on, we wait on a driver's license. We wait on that significant relationship that's going to become the forever relationship of a spouse. We wait on that wedding day. We wait on uh, the birth of kids. We wait on um, the celebrations. We wait on the new jobs. We wait on so many things. Sometimes we wonder, um, is it ever going to get there? Well, for the, the followers of Jesus, Acts chapter 2 represents the fulfillment of the promise um, the promises, Jesus made it to them over and over and over again that he was going to be in them, not just teaching beside them. And this is the day to where um, we start to see the evidence that it, it's, it's not just those that seem to be the closest to Jesus that received the Holy Spirit, that, that it was everybody within this group, and then it just began to multiply out. And, and the multiplication did not stop prior to today, and, and it extends through you and I, and it extends beyond us into those that will come to know Jesus as their Savior. Um, some of the things that we're working through today, um, it brings up a few different topics. So on, our, on the website where we have uh, the Acts resources, going to be posting some things this week. There's a few things already on there, um, but I want to I go through and kind of review them again. I would like to do that just to make sure um, that we're, we're communicating some clear things. Um, but some of the things um, that are going on in here, um, baptism, the Holy Spirit. Um, some, some people um, go into a subject of baptism of the Spirit. Um, exactly what does that mean? How does the Holy Spirit come into believers? When does that happen? There's some resources that we want to put out there to you. Um, it, the, the subject of spiritual gifts comes up specifically with tongues. Um, if you just really want to read on that before you see any resources post, um, I would always recommend it to you 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Uh, it's the, probably the three uh, greatest functional chapters on that spiritual gift that we have in Scripture. And just a lot of things that we want to offer you as tools and resources as we go through the series. Um, but in Acts chapter 2, I want to dive in here. Um, it starts out this way in verse 1. Uh, when the day of Pentecost had arrived. Now, the way that that's, it, it sets it up this way. 
Um, th- this is now 50 days after the Passover celebration. And during that Passover celebration is when we see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 50 days after that, and the timeline we put up at the beginning of the series broke it down um, into a 40-day period that Jesus, after he rose again, was there with his followers, and he did all kinds of absolutely average normal things to let them know and show them that he was physically alive. Um, he had conversations. Um, he, he came in and out of rooms. He, he ate. I mean, he, he did the things that he could do to show them that he was physically alive. This wasn't a spirit. This wasn't a ghost. This was Jesus alive after dying. Through those 40 days, he teaches them, he instructs them, and, and, and I'm sure um, if you've ever struggled with your attention span, this was a very focused 40 days. If your leader dies and you see that happen and he is buried, he comes back to life again, you probably don't have a lot of trouble focusing in on what he's saying. I know our attention spans have, have difficulties. I, I, I struggle uh, watching things online, especially once they go beyond a few minutes because I have to really put the effort in. So I even know on mornings like this, it takes effort just to listen through a sermon. But I don't think they had trouble doing that. Then there's 10 days after Jesus ascends back to heaven that they're waiting, and he tells them to wait. Now, last week we talked about a decision that was made during that 10 days. And if, um, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, just because it deals with decision-making, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it um, and, just, and, and get that because that will show up again as we go through the series. But, but following that 10 days, it's Pentecost. This is 50 days. Now, when it comes to Passover celebration, you didn't have a lot of traveling going on. This was a colder, wetter climate during Passover. Fast forward 50 days, this is a celebration of harvest. It, 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 it ultimately, over history, took on two celebrations. One of harvest and one a celebration of when God gave the law to his people at Mount Sinai. Okay? And, and that has a really awesome connection to this. But, but it's, the, the weather's warmer. This is harvest time. Um, people, not, farmers now have money in their pockets. The, so the, so the, 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 the money's right and the weather's right. So they're traveling. They're going to Jerusalem. They're going now to the city to, to offer sacrifices, to celebrate, to spend time with family. They're, they're moving. And it's not just one small group of people. This is people from all over this um, Jewish culture, this, this Israelite people that's now scattered all over the known world. They're, they're traveling, and so many of them are coming to the city of Jerusalem. So when it says Pentecost, sometimes we just kind of read over that and go, okay, well, you know, what's, you know, it's just a holiday, it's a celebration. This really, in one word, sets the scene. There is an expectation for a lot of ears and a lot of eyes to be in this city around this group of people that God starts to work in. It reminds us that um, as a church, yes, we build up the body of Christ, but we always have to be aware of our lives individually and as a group of people, the, the eyes that are around us in our community. Those eyes, those ears that are listening are important, and we should show them Jesus. They ought to see Jesus through us. They ought to see what God's up to through our church here at Reedy Fort Community Church. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, most likely the same place that we left off with in chapter 1. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Um, if you've ever heard the Holy Spirit uh, explain this way, uh, likened to the wind. You don't see the wind, but you, you feel the evidence of it. That's not a good analogy for this particular verse. 
This says that it was a sound like a violent wind. They didn't, the, the tablecloth didn't blow off. Uh, papers didn't get scattered. This was a roar, an audible roar of what came through at this time that was, that was the audible sound of God's movement into this situation. We're going to connect with that a little bit more in just a minute. Um, they, um, and, it, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Notice, it's as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, there, there are a, there's a wide range of spiritual gifts that we read about in the Bible. And sometimes we read about certain ones and we go, man, I, if I could have one, I want that one. Then there's some where people go, you know, if, if, I could, if I could not have it, it would be fantastic. There's not a lot of people that sign up for the gift of mercy. Not a lot of people that say, you know what, hey, hospitality, let's just have everybody come over every weekend. There's some that we, people would say, I, you know, I, don't, I could go without that one, Lord. It, the Holy Spirit, Jesus in us, knows more than what we know and is so intentional that, that he's working in us specific gifts that fit his building plan for this kingdom he owns and he's responsible for. And, and it's not that he's insensitive, but, but when he knows more than what we know, it's not rude to put a gift in us that may not be the one we would seek out or to leave one out of us that we would desire for ourselves. God always, in so, in, in so many things that we can see tangibly, is building this thing into us where we, we trust him. And this is one of those areas. We have to trust what he's doing inside of us. Now, I told you that, that, that there's a connection back to even what they celebrated with the giving of the law. When, when God gave the law to Moses, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but essentially when, when God gave the law to Moses, the, the people of Israel, the people of God had been gathered into this area there at Mount Sinai. Now, there, there were some things that God kind of warned about, and, and there's this back and forth process that where God is communicating to Moses, his messenger, and then Moses is going to the people. That's why in certain ways, Jesus references himself in certain likenesses back to Moses, but he's the perfect version. He never lost his temper. He never, um, he, he never sinned. He never did anything that he shouldn't have done. Now, when God came and gave the law, God's presence came with this, this roar, this thunder that he spoke in. There was, there was audible sounds where people could recognize that it was God coming into this situation and beginning to speak. That is the connection we see now with this, this roar of wind that comes through. Um, as people look back and say, okay, God came to us and gave us a way to live. This is, th th this is not the same thing. This is a better thing. So they make the connection into this roar that they hear. They also see these, these flames of fire. And if you ever watch a fire as it kind of um, flickers um, either in your fireplace or a fire pit, um, it, it can resemble something as it flickers back and forth like a tongue. Now, remember, Luke is writing about this after it happens. So he remembers back to, he remembers back to, as the Holy Spirit is calling this out of him, he remembers back to the fact that they were going to speak in a language that wasn't necessarily their own. So as he remembers seeing this fire and seeing it rest on each person, that's that mental connection that he's making in how he describes it. But there was this view of fire that he saw that rested on each person. When God came down to Mount Sinai, fire poured down on the mountain. Smoke filled the entire area. 
In fact, he told, he told, those, he told Moses to tell all the people, he said, look, don't even, don't even step at the bottom of this mountain because you can't survive. God's presence was in a place, and they were so sinful that, that because they did not have salvation, if they just approached God raw in life, they couldn't survive. But God's presence poured down like fire on a place. But with the Holy Spirit, what we see is this great transformation, this great transition of, of age of church. It's not that God's presence is in a place. It's on his people, each one of them. It wasn't one big flame of fire over the room that covered everybody. It was on each individual person. So if you look at Mount Sinai, God shows up with his presence, awesome show of power, this fire that pours down, smoke everywhere, and he gives this law for people to live by. But it's an external law. It's on the outside of them. It's written on tablets. But when he comes here in the New Testament church after Jesus went back to heaven, the promise fulfilled was is that now Jesus is in each one of us and the law is now written on our heart. The way of life is now written inside of us. And that's the interaction. That's the growth that we have through the Holy Spirit for the rest of our life. So we don't have to go read a stone tablet. We can go to the Lord ourselves. We can survive in his presence. Whether we have lived really well that day or lived really horribly. Because of Jesus, because Jesus is the one that brings us to God and he represents us. So it's this amazing visual connection for these people who were Jews, they were Israelites. They knew their own history. So, so when this was seen, this to them was probably a little bit more, more obvious as a next step, a new thing that God was doing. Now as this happens, we start to realize at this moment, now the people of God have to start to figure out what does it mean to really live with the Holy Spirit, Jesus in them. Well, I want to I bring a couple of things up. And, and number one is this. Ethan's going to come up here and help me on stage um, for, for this purpose. Because number one, um, to, to really operate through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to set healthy expectations, correct expectations. And, and it is the safest thing for us as believers to expect that the Holy Spirit will be heard, not felt, okay? When we think about that, how the Holy Spirit come in? Like the roar of a mighty rushing wind. So they heard God's presence coming in this room. They heard it. It, it, it wasn't something that, that they felt hit them in the chest. Now, here's functionally how that works out. Um, if you will, as you're kind of watching this illustration, if you just kind of imagine that this space in between Ethan and I is, is a door seal. So Ethan is on the outside of this door. Um, over here where I am, th this is a, a totally different room. This doorway here represents the decision that, he, that Ethan makes to come into this room. Now let's just say that this decision to enter this doorway um, represents one of many things. Um, it could represent um, a job decision, a relationship decision. Um, it could represent just, should I go to this place? Should I be in this environment um, or not? Now, if we think to ourselves that, okay, I'm going to feel the Holy Spirit, then, then the expectation is almost this. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going, and, and if I shouldn't enter this room, I'm going to feel a pushback from the Holy Spirit. Now, I can tell you this. I've been in relationships I shouldn't have been in. I've gone places I shouldn't have gone. I've done a lot of things that would be categories under the idea of shouldn't. Never in any of those times have I felt the, the pushback in my chest of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that God can't restrain someone from entering a relationship, from going into an environment. 
um, anything like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that God can't restrain someone, but I want you to think through this with me. Think about how much God can redeem. In other words, what kind of things can God take and use? What kind of life can God redeem to himself? What kind of person can he save despite their decisions and then use that story as warnings to others to not follow that same path? God can redeem so much that I don't think we can hope to feel a great restraining all the time. So what can we expect? We can expect to hear the voice of God, not necessarily feel the, the restraint of God, which means this. Okay, this represents a relationship. This represents an environment. This represents a job, whatever it is. Now, hear the Holy Spirit. On this side of the door, on this side of the door, Holy Spirit begins to speak to Ethan. Um, what, what have you already learned from me? What does the life of Jesus show you about this? Um, all these things. What are other believers who are praying with you over this? What are they saying as you have conversations? And, and that's the hearing of the Holy Spirit and, and the connecting of those dots. So now Ethan's processes, even up to this moment, the voice of the Holy Spirit saying either yes or no as it guides Ethan on the decision of going in or in that room or not. Now, flip side, um, the, the danger of saying we're going to feel the Holy Spirit versus hear the Holy Spirit. Um, Ethan and I are also both husbands to godly wives. The Bible tells us as husbands to our wives how we should act towards them in our home. Now, if, if Ethan is just kind of standing there and he represents the husband that is doing nothing and he's just really not investing in the relationship, it's not healthy to expect that the Holy Spirit is going to run up behind him and just shove him towards his wife and say, you need to start this, you need to get going. What's it going to come through? It's the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I've taught you. Um, you, you responded to the gospel, so you've responded to Jesus. So to live like Jesus means these things in your marriage. The, that, that's, that's the difference. Thank you, Ethan. That, that's so much the difference between having the expectation that we're going to hear the Holy Spirit, not feel him. And, and I do want to stop and say this. Um, I had some people reach out through this last week, send me emails and messages about decisions and decision-making that you've walked through um, in recent seasons of life and how you saw the Holy Spirit working. And, and I really want to thank you for those because, number one, it's so great to hear your stories. And number two, it was such an encouragement because what I read, um, I could read with joy because I'm like, man, you nailed it. You, you really listened to God's voice in what you did. It was, it was such an encouragement. Now, um, moving on from there, the, um, the, the Holy Spirit, as we function with the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit came in two believers here. We have to be disciplined that we don't develop this idea that i got to chase after the Holy Spirit. Like I have, to, I have to go to this place or this environment or to these people that the Holy Spirit is working in. I have to carry the expectation, just like this fire, that, that, that if I really belong to Jesus, it's going to happen within me, in me, and then come out of me. I, I, I can't go and depend on the Holy Spirit to show up at a church service somewhere to experience the Holy Spirit. That's not the way God works. That's not the way he functions in this New Testament church. The Holy Spirit is in me always, always. So where I am, I can expect God to work. Plus, it's, it's, just not, it's not healthy to develop that thing of, well, I've got to go over here to hear this person or do this to, to, to experience that. Um, again, that, that's, that's relying on our feelings and not what we're hearing. And our feelings are tricky, tricky things and, and not often dependable enough to really be able to pursue with the major decisions of our life. 
Another one is this. Um, the Holy Spirit is meant to fill us. It, it talks here about that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, it says that they were um, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do. Now, um, some people illustrate this idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit in different ways. Some people use a glass that would hold water. Um, and we say that the Holy Spirit goes into us, and, and, it, and it seems confusing because it's like, okay, if, if when I'm saved, the Holy Spirit fills that void in my life, that's Jesus in me, how do I, how do I take something that's already full and, and get more into it? I want to illustrate it to you this way. I want to use a couple of balloons. And um, it's real, real simple um, illustration, not too complicated. Um, but this balloon here is filled with air, okay? Now, just think about it like this. Someone that, um, that, that is saved and receives Jesus in them, the Holy Spirit in them, to be that voice, to be that guidance in their life, um, to, to seal them in salvation. Um, they have the Holy Spirit in them. They have enough of the Holy Spirit in them, as it says in Peter, as Peter writes in his letters, um, for, for all kinds of godly living, to make all the right decisions. We have everything in us that we need. But there's a difference in having it in us and, and it growing and working. In other words, um, is this represents someone that belongs to Jesus. If they really devote their life to him and really listen to the Holy Spirit, then, then what the Holy Spirit has is more influence, more sway, more guidance to the decisions that are made, conversations that are had, all those things. When they really open up their hearts to say, Lord, I want to serve you, show me how. Um, gift me in a way that I can honor Jesus through what I do. Then they start to use these gifts that the Holy Spirit is growing. And, and it's not that they have more of the Holy Spirit, but, but through more influence of the Holy Spirit, there's, there's more evidence that the Holy Spirit is inside of them. Um, when someone uses a gift, now they're serving. There's more opportunities to be used by God. There's more opportunities to make disciples. There's more of those things happening not more of the Holy Spirit, but he's got more influence. Now, before I blew up these balloons, um, I, I wrote the word Jesus on both of them. Uh, these two words are written exactly the same size. Now, there's not a lot more air in this balloon that's in this one, but if you really look at this, already the, the name Jesus is more visible and it, and it looks bigger on this balloon. And this balloon is the one that represents listening to the Holy Spirit more spending more time in the Word so he can connect those major Jesus dots in our life, using the gifts that I have to actively serve him. Basically this, that kind of life means that Jesus is more visible simply because the influence the Holy Spirit has in my, in my life compared to just belonging to Jesus in salvation. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit. So as we go through the book of Acts, and that will come up, when you see this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, Think of it in terms of the amount of influence. Sometimes, yes, it does have to do with the moment. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody and you left that conversation and you went, holy cow, that happened way differently than, than I planned for it. I, I said some things and I felt like God was almost just speaking through me. Sometimes the evidence of Jesus is really aimed at a moment in what the Holy Spirit does in your life or in mine. Sometimes it really is. Like it, it will be here in a few minutes for Peter, aimed at a moment. And, and, and the great evidence that comes out of that is that it's more Jesus and less me. More Jesus and less you. Now, this is the scene that we see. It says this, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together, 
and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in their own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And it goes through for a few verses talking about the different nations that were represented. Basically, it's this. There were Jews that had gone and spread and established lives in different areas, and they developed and adapted to the language of that area. So when they would come back to Jerusalem, there would be a common Greek, kind of like a, a language of business that would be spoken. And, and what these people are saying is they heard the sound, that it grabbed their attention, and they started to go to this place that, remember, not just 11 or 12 and a few ladies were gathered, but still like the, all the followers, all 120 approximately at this moment, and, and there's no evidence that shows us that, that it was just those disciples that were speaking. That, that In fact, I would argue that the evidence would, would be more likely to point to the fact that this was happening to all believers. And as, they grabbed, as this grabbed their attention, they, they kind of summarized. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody in that crowd was from Galilee. But generally, this was the region that most people came from. And, and to say that, um, look, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? I mean, it would kind of like be saying, hey, you know, look, aren't these just a bunch of roughneck guys? Like, aren't most of these people just kind of uneducated, kind of backwoods? I was born in Johnson City, Tennessee. Now, if you went to Johnson City, Tennessee, not in 2021, but in 19, fill in the blank, that I was born, um, it's, it's a very different place. East Tennessee then is not exactly, they didn't exactly have going on what even Greensboro had going on. So if you just compared those two cities, you would say, hey, that place over there, that like that's way more backwoods. That's a little bit more country. And you kind of make assumptions about people who don't have access to as many things. And that, that's kind of what they're saying here. But I want to I caution you towards something. What they're noticing about these people seems a little bit hard to understand. In fact, um, I, I'll even read this, uh, verse 12. Um, I'm sorry, let me, let, me, let me back up to verse 11 because... Um, they, they did take note of what they were saying. Um, the environment isn't that all of these people are just preaching to people. A lot of times I think we read this and think, okay, well, th this, this other language, this gift of the Holy Spirit came on them, and they just everybody just started shooting out a sermon. That, that really doesn't seem to be what's happening. In verse 11 it says this, that, that we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own language. I really believe what... What is more consistent with this passage is this idea that as, as this giftedness came on them, they were just in this worship mode with God because as Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians, that, that tongues is a gift for the Lord and, and that this language is, go, is, this is a praise session and these people are just like almost eat, like big time eavesdropping. They're coming up and, and looking in the windows and everything going like, holy cow, like we can understand what they're saying it, this is not this, this common language. And, and we've seen these people. We've kind of noticed them. This, this does not, this sounds like a little, this is a little bit above their status, right? This is a little bit more than what we should expect from them. And they're amazed. And, and it says they were um, astounded and perplexed. They were confused by it, saying to one another, what, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, uh, they're, they're drunk on new wine. Now, it's funny to me because uh, if you've ever talked to people and, and talked about certain services you've went into, um, if somebody in their normal kind of mode of worship enters into an environment where there is very much um, 
a lot of freedom in worship, a lot of liberty in how people worship. It's, it's funny how even conservative people that would, that would say that I'm, just, I'm, I'm more of a conservative Christian, they will describe that scene, that environment, kind of like it's a room full of crazy people. It's funny how even people that, that, that know Jesus look at other people or, or that, that really know this, this God that they're worshiping and look at others and go, okay, they're talking about how good God is and all that he's done, but the way they're doing it makes me uncomfortable. This isn't an uncommon conversation. And in fact, they even just said, well, you're, you're, you're probably drunk. But before I go into Peter's explanation, I want, I want, to, I want to talk about one thing. Um, have you ever come to a place in life where you really thought for yourself, what kind of reputation do I want? Like, really, how, how do I want people to think of me? Because in this moment, this is the beginning of what popular opinion was going to be for those that followed Jesus. People that looked in on their life, this was the, the beginning of what that reputation was going to be. And I would argue this, that the safest, the safest idea when it comes to reputation, what people think of me, a lot of it I think can be drawn out of this passage, that people would see a gap in what my perceived abilities are and how the Lord uses me. I don't think we should have a problem with somebody looking at us going, man, the, man, the Lord really is using that person because um, their ability to lead worship, their ability to teach, their ability to serve with kindness, their ability to welcome people in their homes, their ability to be gener generous. Like, this isn't kind of what we've known them to be. Like, this isn't what they've been all their life. This isn't what I would expect from that person or that family in this situation. I really think a, a, a Jesus-honoring reputation means that people should see this space between what they, sh what they could really expect from us and what they see come out of us because it really is the Lord using us. Because if they just see, okay, on social media, yep, that's that family, that's that person, and, and this is what they have, this is what they do for a living, this is how they decorate their house, this is where they go to eat, this is how they socialize. If they just see all those things and it just stays the same image, and there's no gap ever present between what the Lord is really doing and that that existence, then, then what really reputation do we have for the Lord? Like, what are we really showing people about Jesus? What, are we, what, what evidence are we really showing if they see all those things all the time? And there's no other sight. There's no other picture. There's no other glimpse. I think that's a healthy reputation, but I think it's also, it's also for us to really look at and consider. Now, at this point, uh, there's got to be a nervousness in the crowd. And when I mean crowd, I don't mean the, I don't mean the ones that are eavesdropping. And, and, and asking questions, I think it's the, the people that are already following Jesus. Because it starts this way. Peter stood up. And at this moment, there, you know, Matthias, the one that was chosen as a new disciple, he's probably excited. Like, hey, man, this guy that like, like kind of initiated me getting chosen. Like, yeah, he's going to speak now. I bet you he's going to mention my name. And the, some of the other ones were probably like, oh, crud, Peter just stood up. Like, John, do something. Just ask him to sit down. Like, this is not the time. People are, like, there's, we know that there's different, like, like, it's probably not his moment. But Peter just steps into it and just it doesn't own it for himself because, really, what comes out of him, I think even his friends would say, there's the gap right there. There's the gap. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow, um, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since only it is, it's only 9 in the morning. Now, 
I don't know about you, but if you're hanging out with some Christian friends and everybody's like, man, y'all are so crazy, y'all, y'all are drunk. It seems odd that Peter's argument is all based on what time of day it is. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but if, if somebody really, really wants to dive in on some alcohol, I haven't always seen their, their watch stopping them. But this is really what Peter's after. Because remember, this is Pentecost. This is Pentecost. This is going to be a celebration. And, and it's a legitimate argument. Culture would really push back on any idea that 9 o'clock in the morning, even if you're the Galileans, even if you're the ones that are a little bit more backwards, even if you didn't ever live in the big city, but you're visiting the big city, like to, to be drunk at 9, no, no. I mean, it, this wouldn't just be a religious decision. This would have been so culturally frowned on that Peter's like, come on, y'all, it's 9 a.m. You, you know that this is not the situation. Um. He says this, on the contrary, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, he grabs probably a scroll because they're, they're in and around this temple area, and he reads from um, the prophet Joel. And, and I really just want to read verse 21 because, because what he's really starting to put into their minds is this simple thought. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is now trying to communicate not just, hey, here's what's happened in us, but here's what can happen with you, all because of Jesus. He says, fellow Israelites, verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Peter does not waste time in recounting every miracle. Why? Because in this area, he already knows there's people that now can see that used to could not. There's people that are walking that used to be crippled. And he's looking at the crowd going, you live with them. He traveled to some of your homes. Like, there are people that are alive that would never have been alive, that were healed. There are leper colonies that are both now living with your family. There's so many things that have happened. And you're living with these people. Peter didn't feel like he needed to really dive in real deep here. But he wanted to take moments to clarify that this was Jesus, it was from God, and it was for them. He says, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Peter's kind of doorway into the gospel. Jesus died for sins and he rose again. And, and God knew that that was the plan because he was talking to people that, that only 50 days ago could have been amongst groups that were so angry that they really thought they had influence when Jesus was put to death. Peter's not just calling them horrible, murderous people. He's saying there was anger in some hearts. He was probably owning very much so that there were fear in the hearts of the disciples. He's not denying what was in people's hearts. He's simply saying... God knew it all and still acted towards us with Jesus Christ. That's an important part when we really look to share the gospel with people. Not anchoring into them being so condemned before Christ because then it almost makes it, uh, it makes the sin the biggest issue when Jesus died for all sin. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to lead people into righteousness. Righteousness that doesn't exist and isn't part of their life at their moment of salvation. Peter understands that a healthy gospel presentation, and this is why there's a gap in this, the Holy Spirit's leading Peter because um, 
Peter's already showing them that it's Jesus first. It's what God did for you first. That's what he leads with. Now he starts this next session. For David says of him, he reads a passage where he's quoting King David and what he said in advance about what would be true about Jesus. This is an interesting thing that the Holy Spirit is guiding Peter into. What's the strategy? King David represented the good old days. King David represented everything that they were holding on to, saying, if we could just get to that point, we'd be okay. And if you think about sharing the gospel with people, so much of what people hang on to um, is, if I could just get to this point in my life, everything would be okay. And, and he's saying, listen, um, even though David represents the glory years of our existence, we still, in that moment, need Jesus and need him now. The gospel has to, it has to get people to step over this, this, this selfish, prideful idea of if I could just get to here or do this or have this, then everything's okay. The gospel says that what we need is, in fact, Jesus. He talks about what, what David says hundreds of years in advance. Um, in verse 25, he, 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 he sums up that section this way. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's basically, he's saying that God called Jesus God. Um, until I make your enemies, your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's calling Jesus out for who he is. He's saying he's, he's God, and he's the one that God himself sent and came to you for what you need. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Now, this does not happen many times in church services. A preacher is speaking, presents the gospel in a specific way, and somebody just slams the brakes for the speaker and goes, stop talking, just tell me what I need to do. That's the evidence that God is working in these, these people's lives. That's the evidence that God is working through the Holy Spirit in Peter's life because he's calling people to a response. It says, Peter replied, remember this, I mean, this, you talk about an early, early gospel presentation. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them. In other words, that's, um, <laughs> that's, that's the biblical way of saying that Peter didn't just stop talking because they stopped him. 
Um, and, and this sermon is a lot longer than what you have here. So if you read this sermon, you're like, man, why can't we just come to church every week and Derek just you know, preach something that we could easily read in about four and a half minutes? Well, in, in all fairness, Peter said a lot more words than that. We just don't have them written down. Early gospel presentation, what does he say? Repent and be baptized. In other words, uh, where, where does repentance come from? It's, it's, it's an internal understanding that, that I've done things that are wrong according to something or someone, and that person is God. He says, repent, have the heart to turn from, from anything that God isn't pleased with towards God and be baptized. What does baptism represent? The public life of a Jesus follower. It's, it's an outward representation of who Jesus is for us. So, so in other words, what, what, is, what is Peter's gospel invitation here? What's the call to follow Christ? To really believe it internally and know that it is going to affect everything that flows out from you. It's, it's about the inside and it's about the outside. And, it, and, and it's not, again, as many people may over the years have made it about what they think the outside should look like. Baptism is simply with a, with a physical function, me showing Jesus and representing him in what I do. Because baptism is going underwater to show his, his burial from his death, but coming back out of the water in representation of life of Jesus. It's showing Jesus off. That's what Peter knows about salvation. That's what he knows about the gospel. And he says it's for each person. It's, it's based on Jesus. And if you believe this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What you see happening in us and around us, you get it too. Because the gospel doesn't respect um, people born in certain times. It doesn't stop for the things that we would stop for. Remember, this, the, the Samaria point that we made a couple of weeks ago. It, it, it doesn't have limits. That it, it just says, no, no, no farther past this line. No farther past this line. I, I want to stop before um, I get into the end of this chapter because there's some things that, um, about church that um, I don't want to end with that because um, I, I'm afraid that our minds would go to a place to where we would we would think more about what we like or don't like about church. And, and, and it's not safe to go there until we really anchor into what we have gone through today, um, which is, uh, what does it mean to have Jesus in us? It means that we need to expect our life to be occupied in the hearing, in the listening, when it comes to our decisions. I think that's a great follow-up that we see God working in to reemphasize and point to what he even showed us last week in chapter 1. To, to, to really push back on this idea of, well, if I shouldn't do it, God's just going to knock me down. Or he's just going to slam a door in my face. Or he's going to shove me in the directions I need to go. But it's going to be a pattern and a habit of hearing and listening. That, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and, and the more influence he has, the clearer Jesus is shown. And, and the more other people see, honestly, this gap, this reputation of Jesus that we want our lives to have. That there's a giftedness that will be enabled just by him. There, there, are, there are things that are specific to, to Jesus, but, but really, what is the gospel? For people that were listening, and, and these people were saved, and, and there were thousands, about 3,000 out of this group that became believers at this moment. And, and specifically, it says that, that Jesus did that. Remember last year we said that he, has, he takes ownership in this. What, what's the gospel really about? The gospel is about the inside and the outside. It starts with your belief in Jesus, repentance. Um, we can't say we believe in Jesus without saying that his words and his life 
And, and what he says is so big that it causes me to turn. In other words, how can I really say that I believe in Jesus, but I choose to just live my whole life? That if I really believe in him, that what happens on the inside will also be what I do and choose to do and show on the outside. Peter didn't say, all right, say this prayer after me. Because Peter knew that his words could fail, but a real belief and commitment to Jesus and what Jesus would do into their life would not. We're not reading Acts because, hey, man, it's awesome what happened there. The reality is, is that this is the same God that wants to work in you. Holy Spirit in you. Jesus in you at home right now with your family around you or neighbors around you. And, and he wants to do some things there and he wants to do some things here. And this is how he's going to do it. I would urge you, really, as you look at this passage and at the words of Peter, as he pointed people to Jesus, to, to, to step over what they think they could do to get their life together or what they thought their, the image that others should see should be. And he, I would really urge you to set all that aside and just really take some time today and this week to say, okay, is, is, have, I really, have I really made it enough, Jesus, about you? Do I really come to you with an open heart, with, with a lot of abandon, just to say, I, I will eventually be a wreck in, in some situation, Jesus, without you? Is, are, are people able to see that gap because of things like baptism that, that, that I'm, I'm doing and you're doing legitimate, intentional things to show him to someone? And if we are, that's evidence, that's an encouragement that we're listening to the voice of Jesus inside of us. If you don't know if you've got a relationship with Jesus, and it doesn't mean that you have to have a moment where there's um, a flickering fire above your head. Don't look at this for the image that you should copy, but if you don't know that you've got a relationship with Jesus, if you'll go online, you'll find phone numbers and email addresses for our staff, myself, um, Ethan, Dale. You'll find email addresses, phone numbers for our elders. We will we'll come to where you are, and we'll have these conversations. Because that is the biggest decision of life. If you would, pray with me. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Lord, thank you for what you show us in your word. And how we can know, Lord, that we belong to Jesus. God, thank you for this image of chapter 2 in Acts. Where we can see, God, this moment that you, you began. There was a starting line. Lord, you weren't looking to repeat this um, over and over and over again. Lord, you, you established a starting line of the work of the Holy Spirit in believers on this planet. And you showed people that you were doing something new. So God, we, we even move forward in today and in this week, God, expecting something new for our lives. God, to anticipate correctly, to believe deeply, and to show it well outwardly. God, I pray for those that are listening to this service now, that will listen to it in days to come. God, that we, in our faithfulness to you, will, will God... Um, know where our relationship stands with you. Lord, if there's response and, um, in, in, in the listening of this message today, God, for what your word says, that someone is choosing Jesus, God, I pray that they understand that, that your Bible continues to speak of salvation, God, that this, this idea of repent, a heart belief, and, and, an, and a life committed to live for you, Lord, if they just come to you in prayer,
God, that you give them that. And, and Lord, that's a decision. That's a starting line. Lord, that they receive the Holy Spirit, God, to be that voice of Jesus in them on a regular basis. And, and, and that's something they can begin to cultivate and develop. But God, Lord, I pray that you will burden their heart, um, Lord, with this desire to tell someone. Those that they're near now, God, those that they belong to um, and, and are doing life with within this church or wherever they're a part of a body of believers with. Lord, I pray that the gospel is clear and it is sure. And as people decide to follow Christ, God, that we do this for you, but together as your church. So God, so as we worship and as we seek you, Lord, help us to find you and to understand, God, what it is you want us to do in our lives in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.